A reading from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews... Save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood as a, at a distance, watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, today, uh, last week was Palm Sunday, as Kirsty said, right at the outset, and we were thinking about the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, and he came in as a king. But he didn't come in as an earthly king would come in, with a crown and looking like a very regal sort of figure, like sort of this. We got this yesterday at $2.50 at a shop in uh, Victoria Street. But he didn't come in like an earthly ruler would come in as a king who looked like 
and a person with great pomp and serenity and incredibly grand and uh, wearing amazing robes and with a retinue of followers and attendants. He came in a, on a very different basis, humble, we're riding on a donkey, wearing ordinary robes, being, uh, uh, being certainly extolled by the people uh, because he came in as a king. Now, when you read through the gospel accounts of the death of Jesus, there's this incredible uh, thing going on, particularly in the trial, about who this person, Jesus, is. Um, at his trial, Conscious Pilate says, that, are you the, ask him, rather, are you the king of the Jews? And at the cross, which we had read earlier... Uh, the soldiers placed a crown of thorns on Jesus' head uh, and they mocked him and they said, are you the king of the Jews? And this crown of thorns was a sign not of him being honoured but a sign of shame that he was this person who wasn't really a king who purported to be a king but in actual fact wasn't functioning as if he was a king. They not only mocked him with the crown of thorns They put a purple robe upon him uh, and mocked him as if he really wasn't the person that he was claiming to be. Well, Pontius Pilate again said to Jesus, uh, said, bring Jesus before the crowd uh, and dressed him in this purple robe and the crown of thorns and he presented him as, here is your king. And the people cried out, only Caesar is king. He's not our king. Now that's profoundly ironic in the context because in the context We have the people of Israel, they're oppressed by the Roman rulers. They wanted liberation from these rulers and they wanted freedom from the tyranny of Roman rule. And yet here Jesus is presented to them as the king and they reject him as the king and they say that only Caesar is our king, who in fact they hated. On the cross, Pilate mocks the Jewish leaders and over Jesus' head is placed the notice, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And interestingly, it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, the three dominant languages of that era. Aramaic, which was the local language of the Jewish people, Latin, which was the language of the Roman Empire, and Greek, which was the universal language that sort of traversed all of the languages of that day. So he was trying to make an incredibly big point that this person was someone, and he was seeking someone of significance, and he was seeking to communicate that to everybody. The Jewish officials are offended by this uh, placement of this notice over the cross and they say don't call him that, put up on the notice, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate says what I have written, I have written. So as you can see there's this kind of funny thing going on through this whole account about who is this person. Is he really the king of the Jews? Is he really the person that he was claiming to be or is he just being mocked as someone who thought he was a king but in actual fact wasn't the king. Well, as I've said, the Jewish leaders were under Roman occupation. They desperately wanted to be released and liberated uh, and he was their king in their presence but they rejected him as God's king. It's equivalent, uh, and this is me seeking to be contextual, a hawk supporter proclaiming that Dusty is our king. Uh, I mean, I don't relate to that at all as a Melbourne supporter, but I'm told that's important here at St. Columns. Uh, So, you know, that might help you a little bit in this context. Well, Jesus was the king, and the symbol of his kingship wasn't a royal crown because he wasn't a kingly ruler. The symbol of his kingship was, in fact, this crown of thorns because he was a suffering servant who came to rule in people's hearts, not by imposition and not by 
imposing himself because he had earthly authority in that sense, but in a way that was voluntary. Jesus was a king and he was adorned with a crown of thorns, because, which was a form of mockery and failure. And by his death on the cross, Jesus was able to establish his rule in people's hearts and lives. Because on the cross, Jesus brings about the reconciliation that everybody needs and requires and wants to be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. And he invites each of us to ask, be our king. Uh, He serves us by forgiving our sins. He serves us by reconciling us to God if we place our trust and faith in him. And if we actually respond to him, that we invite him to be the Lord of our lives. Now, you'd have to say the last five or six weeks in Australia haven't been the most pleasant of time, and we've lived through a pretty tawdry sort of experience with accusations flying around on almost a daily basis of appalling behaviour, particularly amongst our elected representatives. Uh, And it's been a pretty depressing time for lots and lots of people because it's tapped into a wider issue of abuse uh, of women in particular and the way in which they have been mistreated and overlooked and not treated with the respect that they deserve and should in fact have without actually having to even make a fuss about the point. And I guess what that illustrates is that if you live in a world where people have largely given up on God, then you end up in a really tricky place because there is no basis for forgiveness other than forgiving each other uh, and there isn't necessarily a clear basis for how we should live. And I think that's one of our underlying tensions as people living in this point, point in time in history. Well, Christ came to reconcile us to himself, but as well as that, to reconcile us to each other. And Jesus himself modelled what it was to be someone who lived a truly consistent human life. The sort of aspirations that we all have for ourselves as to how we should live and how others should live, Christ modelled and demonstrated. And it was, in fact, the claim of those who spent the most intense time with him for three years that he was, in fact, truly human, but he lived a consistent life. He was without sin. Uh, and, and that wasn't because he was, like, sort of, in a sense, unaffected by sin. It tells us in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. And Christ modelled, in a highly patriarchal context, true respect for women and true acknowledgement of women because he included women in his wider band of disciples. He actually often dealt with women who had been rejected and engaged with them in an open and free way. And he was someone who actually set an example for how we should be relating with each other. So Jesus, as our king, invites us to find cleansing and forgiveness, not because he's a kingly ruler who's come to impose himself, but through this crown of thorns, whereby he suffered on our behalf so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of our actions. And his death on our behalf is the basis by which God does, in fact, reconcile us to ourselves. But as well as that, it's the basis by which we can live a new life in a new way. Because if you, in fact, do respond to Christ's offer of forgiveness and reconciliation, he blesses you with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God's person dwelling in you personally, enabling you to live in a different and a a new way. So Jesus, our King, invites us to live as he lived, not as a servant, sorry, not as a master, rather, but as a servant of all. Because, as he said, uh, which we thought about last night on Maundy Thursday, no servant is greater than their master. And as he ruled through service, sacrificial service, 
he invites us to live lives of sacrificial service as well, giving our lives to others, living for the sake of others, and not being consumed with ourselves. I wonder whether this, East, this Good Friday, whether Christ is your king, whether you're respond to him, responding to him voluntarily as he cho- invites you to participate in his love and as he invites you to live lives differently as he li- lived life differently by serving others together. So let's pray as we finish. Gracious God, we thank you for Christ and all that he's done for us. We thank you that he modelled true service and that the supreme modelling of that service was through his sacrificial death on the cross. We pray, gracious God, as he's made that generous offer to us of his love and his forgiveness and reconciliation, that you'd help us to take afresh that offer today, to actually respond to his love by accepting that, by seeking his forgiveness and cleansing, and by seeking to live our lives in response to him. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.